chapter 15, uh, verses 1 to 4, says this. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. And now he's going to tell us what the gospel is. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. So, in a nutshell, I mean, we could say, again, as we mentioned many times, that the entire Bible is the gospel, because the word gospel actually means good news. But in a nutshell, the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ came to die for our sins. He was buried, but he rose again so that we could be saved from our sins and live a new life. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Now, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, which we read, he's, he's writing this to the Corinthian church. But before Paul ever delivered the gospel to the Corinthians, Jesus came and actually started his ministry by preaching the gospel. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, and he says this, Now after that, uh, John the Baptist was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching what? The gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Notice these two things he says, Repent ye and believe what? The gospel. Okay, now we talked last week about believing or faith, right? Without faith it's impossible to please God. Okay, for by grace are ye saved through faith. So we talked about the faith part of the gospel. Jesus started with repentance and believing. Again, we've already covered the believing part. We basically, when we're talking about living the gospel, we're talking about living a life of faith. Turn to your neighbor and say, faith. All right, so we're talking about living a life of faith. We're talking about living a faith-filled life. Living a faithful life life. Turn your neighbor and say, be faithful. All right? So living the gospel means living life by faith. Not your feelings, not your preferences, not your ideas, not by your flesh. We'll talk more about that later, right? So it's talking about living by faith. And so while living the gospel includes faith, it also includes repentance and repenting. As Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. Repentance and repenting is an extremely important part of living the gospel. <coughs> Excuse me, not COVID. Jesus, <coughs> Jesus preached it, so it's obviously important. If, you know, Jesus was here 33 years, approximately, not like here in Campbellton in this church, but he was on this earth for about 33 years, but really didn't start his ministry till about 30. So he had three and a half years or so. So, he, and he knew he only had a short time. So kind of everything he said is real important, right? If you only have a, a few years, everything you say, so he said repent and believe the gospel, so it's, that's obviously important. But even before Jesus came and preached repentance, John the Baptist did it. Um, now, just let me set the stage. So between the Old Testament and the New Testament, 
All right, and the Old Testament ends with the book of Malachi, or Malachi, as some people like to call it, and starts with the book of Matthew. In between Malachi and Matthew is 400 years of silence where God didn't speak to his people. He had spoken them in years past through prophets and priests and judges, and then there was 400 years of nothing. God didn't speak to his people. The first guy to break the silence was John the Baptist. And what did John the Baptist come preaching? So that's pretty important. You know, if your spouse doesn't talk to you for a while, the first words they say next might be important. You might want to pay attention. Okay? Um, so what did he say? Matthew 3, 1 to 2. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this is not some minor thing that we're picking out of the scripture to explore here. This is a major theme throughout scripture. Now, John the Baptist preached it. Jesus preached it. Paul, uh, Paul preached it. So after Jesus died and he was resurrected and ascended up to heaven, very first message of the church okay jesus came to establish his church the very first message preached in what we could call the very first church service was preached by a guy named peter and peter preached to the jews and he basically said you guys are messed up and you guys messed up royally because you crucified our God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. You crucified one of your own. You guys are in deep trouble. And they're like, oh no, what do we do? I'm paraphrasing. That, but they responded with, well now what are we supposed to do? And the very first thing Peter said to them after they had messed up their lives royally was this in acts 2 38 then peter said unto them what's the first word repent turn to your neighbor and say repent not like you're telling them to repent but you're just repeating after me no one get offended here then peter said unto them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the remission of sins and he shall receive the gift of the holy ghost which we'll talk about in another lesson now Later on in the book of Acts, Paul the Apostle, who was an educated man, met up with some very educated folks. And he reasoned with them for a while, but then he said these words in Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. In the times of ignorance God winked at, but now he commandeth all men everywhere to repent. All right, I think I've set the stage, the foundation. Jesus preached it, John the Baptist preached it, Paul preached it, and Peter preached it. It's, it's there. Repent. So, the biggest thing is, what in the world does it mean? It means, well, to be sorry. means to regret or to have sorrow. In this particular case, in a Bible context, it means sorry for sin, to regret your sin. It also to a certain extent, has a, a meaning of commit to not doing what you're doing. Has anyone ever done anything to you and said sorry 
and then done it again? Right? Slap your neighbor right now and apologize. It just makes it all better. No, it doesn't. Right? So, so there's a certain amount of when you repent, you're, you're sorry and you regret it, and it's a part of committing not to doing it again. The actual word repent really means to change. It really means a, a 180. It was said, and I, ha I didn't have time to confirm it, but it used to be a military term, and some say they still use it in Australia, that when a group of soldiers is marching in run one direction, the commander will yell out, repent, and they will turn completely around and march the other way. And that's like our life. That's what Jesus is telling us to do. You're going in the wrong direction. You need to turn around and go the other direction. In other words, you're, you're going away from me. You're going away from God. You need to turn around and come towards God. So now the Bible actually uses that term in many places, but the principle and the meat of repentance is actually described in some other scriptures. Um, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses 24 to 26, He's, he's basically describing here a life of repentance. And remember, we're, we're not talking about repentance today, although we are. We're talking about living the gospel. So really, we're talking about living a repentant life. So Jesus really describes it in Matthew 16. He said, Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? These last two verses we're not going to have time to get into today, but we're going to dive a little deeper into verse 24. But before we do that, let's go to what Paul said in Romans because he really describes this, this repentance or this life of repentance. In Romans 6 and 6, knowing this, that our old man, not your father or your husband, knowing this, that our old man, that's our, ourselves, who we used to be, our old flesh, carnal, we'll talk about that, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin, now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. These two scriptures describe the life that Christians, Christ followers, need to live. A repentant life. These two scriptures connect repentance to the gospel. Remember what the gospel is? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. These two scriptures connect dying and the gospel. In other words... Jesus died for our sins. If we're going to live the gospel, we have to die to our sins. So let's, let's go back to what Jesus said in Matthew. And Matthew starts off in Matthew 16 and 24. Then Jesus said unto the disciples, if. He starts off with the word if. It's a great word, two letters, easy to spell, hard to mess it up. Um, there's actually an entire message in this word if. I'm not going to preach it all today because i got a whole other message. But what it's telling us is this. You don't have to. So what I'm going to talk to you about today, you don't have to do. 
Jesus is not saying you have to do this. He's saying if you want to. He's saying basically God doesn't force anyone. There's no one here against their will except for maybe a few children. And <laughs> God doesn't force anyone. He doesn't force you to follow him. He doesn't force you to deny yourself. He doesn't force you to repent. He doesn't force you to pray. He doesn't force you to read his word. He doesn't force you to love him. Or he doesn't force you to do anything. This is not a prearranged marriage. All right? He's not forcing you. He says if. He says if you're interested, if you want to, if you have the desire, if you're so inclined, if you want to follow me, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to live for God, if you want to change your life, if you want something different to happen in your situation, that's why God put a tree in the garden in the beginning. That's why there's a devil. God doesn't want robots. He wants people to have a choice. He wants people who want to change their life. He wants people who want to live for God, who want to be a Christian, who want to follow Jesus Christ. That's why he said if. All right, and then he says, if any man will come after me. Okay, there's a book I have. It's called The God Chasers. And it's, it's stories about people who literally chase after God, seeking after God. Here's the deal. You can't find what you're not looking for. I'm going to say that again. You can't find what you're not looking for. You're never going to experience what you don't try. Now, the Bible is very clear that God came down and he came to us, and the Bible says Jesus came to seek and to save. Here's the thing. You're never going to stumble over God. You're never going to accidentally bump into him. You're never going to stumble into a relationship with God. You're never going to accidentally get baptized or filled with the Holy Ghost. All right? In real life, or I should say in natural life, some people believe in love at first sight. And I kind of do because of chicken wings. <coughs> um. Now, maybe the person that's sitting beside you, when you first saw them, you felt those warm, mushy feelings. You know, you felt that sparkle. You were Twitter-pated. Um, groovy. That's awesome. But you didn't get that person sitting beside you just because you looked at them and they looked at you and you locked eyes. And then to die, today, to do that, whatever, you're married. No, 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 no. One of you had to do some pursuing. One of you had to do some chasing. And let's face it, it's mainly guys. Okay? One of you had to go after the other. You, you, you had to pursue a little bit. All right? You had to put some effort in. The love at first sight might have been great and fine, but... But then there was some work and some, some effort. And by the way, if you did get that someone that you're pursuing and they're with you here today, <clears throat> as much work as you thought as it was to get them, keeping them now, that's a full-time job. Time and a half and you're not paid overtime. But so... 
in your relationship with God, how is it we want him to do all the work? Right? If you don't have the relationship with God that you want to have, guess whose fault it isn't? It isn't his fault. He came and died for you. That's right. What have you done for him? Hey, so what are you putting into that relationship with him? I'll just throw this out here right now. But if you don't have a good relationship with the person sitting beside you, assuming it's your significant other, it's because you ain't putting into it what you should be putting into it. I was always taught you only get out of something what you put into it. So if you don't like what you got, you need to put a little bit more in. Right? So if you're not getting out of a relationship with God, what you think, you need to put some, something in it. All right? You need to examine your effort. All right? There are people who deny the existence of God, and I'm fine with that. Maybe they did all the seeking they could possibly do and searching they could possibly do and come to the conclusion there was no God. I doubt it. I doubt that's what happened. Because I promise you this, if you seek, you will find. As a matter of fact, he promises if you seek, you will find. So Jesus says, if any man will come after me. It's hard for, I'm just going to say it. It's hard for lazy people to have a good relationship with God. It's hard for lazy people to have a good relationship with anyone. Because it takes effort. Right? If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Now this is the fun part. This is the countercultural part. This is the part that goes against everything the world tells you. Take care of number one. Put yourself first. All right? But take a look at the world and tell me really how's that working. Right? A me-first world is doing whatever they want that pleases them. When's the last time that worked out for somebody? I'm just going to please me from now on. Those are the most miserable people on planet Earth. All right? You see, it would be fine if all we did was do things that pleased ourselves. If all we like to do was take naps and build puzzles. But the problem is, humanity is depraved and sinful and fallen and lost. So instead of a world filled with a bunch of sleeping puzzle makers, we have rapists and murderers and abusers and addicts and full of selfishness and jealousy and hate and rage and anger and covetousness and thieves and liars and adulterers. That's the kind of world we have. Because people say, just follow your dreams, follow your heart, do whatever you want to do, whatever pleases you. But because the world has a sinful nature, this is what we get is a messed up world. You see, denying yourself, while Jesus doesn't use the word repentance here, he's really talking about repenting. He's talking about changing your way of life. He's talking about dying to your old self. Remember we talked about flesh earlier? T d dying to your fleshly desires. He's talking about living God's way. He's talking about living this gospel. He's not talking about pleasing yourself. He's talking about living a life that is pleasing to God. And remember, he started with if. So you don't have to. You don't have to live a life pleasing to God today. You can please yourself or try to please other people. Let me know how that works out for you. Right? Then he says, he says to deny yourself. But then he says to take up your cross. And follow me. You see, the cross is the, the dying part. It represents death. It represents the crucifixion. Now, an interesting thing about take up your cross, 
When Jesus spoke to his disciples and said, take up your cross, he hadn't taken up his yet. There, the disciples' only imagery or only understanding of the cross was death and torture. So when he said, take up your cross, they knew where the crosses led to. They led to a hill outside of a city where thieves and liars and criminals were killed. That's all they knew of the cross. When he said, and this is a whole other message, and I preached it one time, but when he said, take up your cross, the only thing they understood was death and crucifixion. They didn't understand that later on taking up your cross would mean victory because that's what Jesus won on the cross. Taking up your cross would mean the blood of Jesus Christ which cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Let me tell you, living for Jesus Christ absolutely is about dying to ourselves and our old self, uh, but taking up our cross is just as much about living and overcoming victorious Christian life. It's not just about death. It was to the Romans, but Jesus changed the definition of that. So when he said take up your cross, absolutely, he was saying die to yourself. And in one of the verses, because he, he said pick up your cross several times. It wasn't a, a one-off statement. He said take it up daily. So every day we deny ourselves and we take up our cross. And we, we're talking about living the gospel here. We're not talking about living a life that pleases Mike Noel or a church or an organization or a denomination. We're talking about living this gospel, living for Jesus Christ. But we're talking about living a life that is dead to sin. We're talking about living this gospel. And why do we do all that? To follow him. He said, take up your cross and follow me. So then you actually have to follow Christ. It's not just, well, I'm going to die to sin and then do whatever else I want. No, I'm going to follow Christ. Right? So once we've gotten all our stuff and all our junk and all our past and all our sins and all our addictions and all everything out of the way, then we're free to follow him. We're free to, you see, there's only room for one God in our life. You can either be the God of your life or he can. There's only room for one. Now let's go to Romans 6 and we'll finish up with this. He, he starts off in Romans chapter 6 with a very, again, a very graphic and interesting um, illustration. He says, knowing this, that our old, old man is crucified with him. He, he could have he just said, died or killed with him. But he actually uses the word crucified. Crucified is a very descriptive word. It's a very <laughs> interesting process of killing someone. It's very graphic. It's very painful. It's, it's torture with the ultimate end of being death. And I don't think Paul can get any clearer here. He's saying that, that our old man, our old self, our old sinful self, we need to crucify it with Christ. In other words, we need to live a crucified life that's kind of how we need to treat our sinful nature our sinful flesh to deny it jesus said paul goes a step farther and says crucify it now interesting and i was talking to my wife about this and i don't know if this applies but i'm going to tell it anyway but when you look at the crucifixion it says crucified with christ he didn't just say crucify your flesh he didn't just say, kill your flesh. He said, you're crucified with him. Now remember, we're talking about living the gospel, all right? And living the gospel includes 
Jesus dying. So Jesus dying, now we have to die, not physically, because he died physically, but our sin has to die. So here's what he's saying here. He's saying that we've got to crucify our flesh. And again, if we look at all the things surrounding the crucifixion, and I'm not going to go through them all, but perhaps it'll be an interesting study one time. But when you look at the crucifixion, one of the things that the Bible says is that Jesus was silent. They were falsely accusing him. That's why they crucified him. They were accusing him of blasphemy, and, and uh, the Bible says he was silent. So, so maybe the scripture is telling us when we got to crucify our flesh or, our, or we're crucified with him, that what we really got to do is make sure that the words of our mouth don't sin against God. It says that Jesus was blindfolded and they mocked him. Maybe he's saying if we're crucified with him, we got to be careful what we look at. They're saying he was beaten and he had to carry a cross. Maybe he was saying we shouldn't be carrying anything but our cross. For those of you still carrying unforgiveness and bitterness and hate and all these things in your life, you need to set that junk down. Amen. You need to set it down. We're crucifying our flesh here. We need to set that stuff down. The Bible says they planted a crown of thorns on his head. As I said earlier, uh, maybe crucifying the flesh is understanding this. Uh, there's only room for one king in our life, one God in our life, and that's Jesus Christ. Uh, they nailed his hands. Uh, maybe that means we ought not to touch some stuff. Uh, we need to keep our hands clean. Uh, amen. They nailed his feet. Uh, maybe we ought to be careful where we go and not sin where our feet. Uh, they shoved a spear through his side. Uh, maybe that means we got to be careful what's inside of here in our heart. Uh, amen. Get some bitterness out of there and jealousy out of there and all the wrong attitudes and spirits. Uh, maybe when he said we need to be crucified with him, uh, maybe he was talking about all of that and maybe he wasn't. Uh, but I can tell you this, if you deny yourself, uh, if you repent uh, and you crucify your flesh, uh, it definitely means all of that and a whole lot more. And then he says that the body of sin he didn't say just sin, the body of sin. That's why it leads me to believe he was talking about all that. And he's saying our flesh, our sinful nature, our carnal. You'll hear the word carnal. It means earthy or earthly nature, our fallen nature. You see, living this gospel means destroying the sin in our lives. Jesus defeated sin on the cross. Sin had a stronghold on man. Men, mankind were born sinners. We were powerless to set ourselves free from the power of sin. That's why addiction is so strong. That's why there are so many things that are addictive. You could have one person addicted to alcohol, another addicted to drugs and any kind of drug, and addicted to gambling and addicted to porn. And There's so many things that are addictive. It's because it's our fallen nature. We weren't supposed to be that way. We weren't made to be that way, but when we became sin, sin took a stranglehold in our lives, and people are powerless uh, to change their life. As a matter of fact, the only time we can change is through the power of God. Yes. 
He's saying that it might be destroyed. God is saying here, you can't just take your sin, your favorite ones, we all have favorite ones, our favorite sins, and just set it aside because I'm going to church now on Sunday morning, so sin, I'm going to set you over here on the shelf. We can't hide it in a closet when the pastor comes over. We can't save it for later or after church. Uh, we need to destroy the sin in our life. Uh, amen. If there's hate in your life and bitterness in your life and gossip in your life and lust in your life, and addictions and lying and whatever, it can be destroyed through the power of the cross. He died for our sins. The Bible says this happens, and he says that henceforth. I love King James. Henceforth. Turn to your neighbor and say, henceforth. Henceforth. Good thing you're all wearing master be saliva everywhere. That henceforth, we should not serve sin. What does that mean? It means we're not going to serve sin any longer. It means we've served it up to this point. It means sin has been our taskmaster. Sin has been our slave driver. I've been controlled by it, my mind, my heart, my actions. But henceforth, heretofore, any longer... I'm now free from sin. I was born a slave to sin, but not any longer. Hey, you want to know how to break a generational curse? Crucify your flesh. It'll stop dead in its tracks. Hey, there are families uh, that are bound by so many different things. Uh, well, my father was this, and my grandfather was this, and my grandmother was this. Uh, well, guess what I'm going to be? Uh, I'm going to crucify my flesh, uh, and I'm going to be different, uh, and I'm going to be changed, uh, amen, by the power of the cross, uh, amen, through one simple action of repenting. Uh, I'm going to kill that curse in my life because uh, I might have been born with it, but I'm not going to die with it because because I've died to it, uh, and I'm set free today. You see, and he goes on to say, he that is dead is freed from sin. A dead man can't sin. Uh, amen, I died to sin, and it's not about even sin being dead to me. It's about me being dead to sin. Uh, oh, sin's alive in the world, uh, but I'm dead to sin. The day I died, I became a free man. Sin has no more control over me. Amen. And there's so many things controlling people in our world. Fear and anxiety and gossip and hate and blah, blah, blah. Come, somebody needs to die to that stuff in your life. Somebody needs to die to some things in your life. Uh, amen. Somebody needs to die to your past. My past and buried is gone. You can dig it up if you want to. Jesus won't remember it. I got a bad memory, so I can't remember it. Uh, amen. But it's gone. I'm dead to it. I don't know what you're talking about when you bring up my past uh, because I'm dead to it. I'm dead to it. Somebody needs to die to something today. Somebody needs to kill something in your life. Somebody needs to crucify something in your life today. If you're watching today and you're struggling with something, it can be killed. Jesus died. And all the sins of all humanity were nailed to the cross that day. That sin's already dead. But you've got to kill it in your life. You've got to crucify it in your life. The day I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I gave him my sin. And I picked up my cross. You see, when you're carrying your cross, you can't carry nothing else. 
when you're carrying your cross, you, you can't pick up gossip and hate and bitterness and unforgiveness and all those things because you're, you're loaded down with something better. You're carrying a cross now. You got no room for sin. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not perfect. Sometimes I get up and my cross stays right where I left it the night before. I still have the sinful nature, but it's buried, which we'll talk about next week. It's buried, and it's buried deep. Jesus dying was part of the gospel. Me dying is about living the gospel. I said, Jesus dying is part of the gospel. Me dying is about living the gospel. And we'll cover more of this next week, but this last statement says, Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Because the whole point of death is actually life. The whole point of dying is actually living. You see, you ever try to quit a bad habit? There's only one way to do it. You have to replace it with something. You can't stop chewing your fingernails unless you start doing something else. Chicken wings, anyone? There's two answers for everything. Jesus and chicken wings. Mainly Jesus, but I do like chicken wings. If we're dead to sin, the whole point is to be alive with him. And again, we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. You see, the point of dying and denying yourself is living with Christ, is living a new life is living this gospel life, is living this God-filled life. Living the gospel means dying to sin. If you're watching or you're here today and you're like, Pastor, you don't understand. I got stuff. I got junk. Oh, the cross took care of that. The cross to Jesus took care of that. You say, you don't know what it is. I don't need to know what it is. He knows what it is. His blood is powerful enough his death was strong enough the bible says he defeated death hell and the grave amen we got the victory today you can have the victory today you can be set free today but understand this jesus doesn't want to just set a slave free so a slave can do whatever it wants to do jesus set slaves free to live for him because you're not really free unless you're living for jesus christ Amen. It's not a problem-free life, but it's the best life there is living for Jesus Christ. You're still living on this earth. There's still going to be troubles. Anybody still married? Hey? Anybody have kids? Anybody have bills? That's fine because I got Jesus. Amen. And it's the best life there is. It's the best life there is. Let's all stand today. Let's all stand today. Maybe you've never been a free man or a free woman in your life. Well, you can be right now. You can give your life to Jesus Christ. You can change your life. You can turn it around. Let's pray right now. If you want to, I'll start with if. Go ahead and lift up your hands like a free man or a free woman. Amen. Lord, I come to you today. God, there are those that are not free that are struggling with something. 
God, let's crucify it. Lord, I crucify that thing in my life that needs to be crucified. Lord, I deny myself. Help me to take up my cross and follow you. Help me to live a changed life, an overcoming Christian life. Lord, I give my life to you. I give my sin to you. You won the victory on the cross. Lord, you won the victory on the cross. Lord, set us free from fear and anxiety and every addiction and every sin. Set us free, Lord, from sin. Lord, to live for you. I give you praise right now. I thank you, Lord, right now. Go ahead and thank God. If you're a free man or a free woman, go ahead and shout praises to God. Go ahead and thank the Lord right now. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I praise you. Oh, he whom the Son has set free. 